You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. A bug hunter finds issues in web hosts. Compromised passenger name records have been found in airline reservations. Business email compromise seems on the rise, and it's also growing a bit more interactive. A Facebook executive is swatted, and absolutely nobody should dismiss this sort of thing as a joke. China would like everyone to stop saying bad stuff about Huawei, but the Polish government seems unconvinced that there's nothing here to see. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, January 15th, 2019. A well-known bug hunter has located a dozen flaws that affect some of the largest web hosting companies on the Internet. Bluehost, Dreamhost, HostGator, OVH, and iPage. The researcher, Paulos Ibello, disclosed his discovery to the affected companies before making it public, and he says the issues have all been fixed. The account takeover bugs he found arose, as TechCrunch puts it, from, quote, aging infrastructure, complicated and sprawling web-based back-end systems, and companies each with a massive user base, end quote. Amadeus, the widely used airline reservation system that interfaces with major carriers like Air France, British Airways, Iceland Air, and Qantas, is reported to leave passenger records open to manipulation, Israeli security researcher Noam Rotem told TechCrunch that he's discovered that you can change anyone's booking by plugging in their reservation number. You could, for example, switch someone to a middle seat or reroute their frequent flyer miles. You might also be able to obtain personal information, including phone number, email, and home address. These passenger name records, or PNR, are widely shared internationally and have been around so long they are generally not secure. Rotem points out that you can get a booking number by scanning a boarding pass barcode. You might do this if you were ill-intentioned by walking around an airport and using your phone on random passes left sitting next to someone too engrossed in their copy of, say, Persuader. That's Jack Reacher, opus number 7, for those of you who may be behind in your airport reading. The problem was responsibly disclosed, but what the industry will be able to do about it remains to be seen. And please look up from your book when you're sitting around the departure gate. Security firm Agari is seeing an uptick in payroll diversion attempts. The criminals are using social engineering, specifically business email compromise, against human resources departments. The classic BEC approach involves impersonating an executive from a business's C-suite 
and sending an email from their spoofed address directing that funds be transferred to some accounts the crooks control. In this current trend, Agari researchers are seeing impersonations of a wide range of employees. A typical come-on starts with a request for help in getting direct deposit changed to a new bank. One of the specimens Agari shares reads under the subject line, Payroll Update, Hi, name of HR rep, I have recently changed banks and like to have my direct deposit changed to my new bank. I need your prompt assistance on this matter. Leave aside the questionable syntax and the mix of the friendly, hi, as in, yo, bro, and the stiff, your prompt assistance on this matter, which might put HR on its guard. Let the one among us who's never written a loosey-goosey email cast the first stone. The email exchange goes on from there, and it is indeed an actual exchange, not just a one-time helping of spam. In the case Agari describes, HR asks for a voided check or something on the bank letterhead. The crooks answer, sorry, they don't have any of that with them at the moment, and could HR help by making the change for them if they send on the new deposit information? Of course, HR wants to help, and does so. The whole scam is lent plausibility by the sent-from-my-iPhone tag in the crooks' emails. Maybe if you were out and about with your phone, you wouldn't have those documents from your bank. So the moral is this. Don't set up policies that make it easy to transact business by email. It was just about a year ago that a false ballistic missile alert was issued over the emergency alert system in Hawaii, triggering panic and disruption throughout the state. The governor apologized, Congress investigated, and the emergency management administrator for Hawaii resigned. Australia recently had their own issues with their emergency alert system, and Carol Terrio has the story. When you live in a place like Australia, you are pretty reliant on emergency warning systems, particularly if you live somewhere where there's wildfires or cyclones or any other kind of natural disaster. You want a heads up. Well, imagine how tens of thousands of people across Australia felt when they received a message from the Early Warning Network warning that EWN has been hacked. Your personal data is not safe. Try fixing the security issues. According to ABC News, EWN, or the Emergency Warning Network, said a hacker accessed its alerting system and sent the message to part of its database. The message was sent out via email, text message, and landline. Now, EWN say they are incredibly embarrassed that they've put some of their customers through this. They also say they will do everything they can to prevent future breaches. I reached out to Paul Backus, senior malware researcher at Proofpoint, to get his take on the story. Welcome to the CyberWire. Hi, cool. Now, Paul, you spend your days knee-deep analyzing these kind of attacks. What was your reaction to the initial story? Why was the database um, for the early warning network uh, connected to another, the email system? Um, if it's true that the uh, one of the users was hacked, compromised login details, and they could log into the system from a remote, um, that that seems that the, the security wasn't um, up to par. Do you think that the early warning network's reaction to this fake news alert was good? Did they handle this problem well? I think the response is quite dismissive. The article says the actual data held in our system is just white pages type data. But this white pages type data will be true for a 
a government's early warning system, because unlike Facebook or LinkedIn, where you may lie because you don't want to give this data away, you wouldn't have thought that for a government entity. You will be telling the truth. The hacker needs to know your address, your zip code, and secondary password um, data is always made up of white pages data. Now, what lessons do you think organizations can take away from this situation, this snafu? In, in, in the old movies, you had two different people and they had to be standing more than six feet apart and they had to turn their keys simultaneously. While you possibly can't do the simultaneous part, you should have some um, multi-factor authentication. Right. So having different layers of security allows you to maybe catch out a potential problem before it occurs. Yes, that's the, that, that is the point in this case. Right. So I guess our takeaway is don't wait to be hacked before you review your security posture. This was Carol Terrio for The Cyberwire. A Facebook executive has been subjected to a swatting attack. Naked Security calls it a prank, but it's an unusually repellent and dangerous one. The caller pretended to be the executive, unnamed in reports, and told police he'd shot his wife, tied up his children, and placed pipe bombs throughout their home. Fortunately, no one was injured in the police response. We hope the police get the creep behind the swatting soon. These things are by no means jokes. Swatting can be, and has been, murderous. Finally, if you're out there fabricating connections between Huawei and espionage, the Chinese government would like you to please knock it off, reports Reuters. The council will probably fall largely on deaf ears, even after its supplementation by a statement from Huawei founder and CEO Ren Zhengfei. Mr. Ren says the company hasn't installed backdoors in its products, isn't required by Chinese law to do so, and would refuse any request to assist in espionage. Despite American animadversions about Huawei's potential threat to security, Mr. Wren also says he likes the cut of President Trump's jib, but that friendly avowal seems unlikely to affect his company's position in the markets. Mr. Wren's daughter, Huawei CFO Mengwan Zhao, is still in Vancouver, fighting extradition to the U.S. on a sanctions evasion beef. In asking everybody to stop with the fabrications already, Beijing is probably scowling in the general direction of Warsaw, the Wall Street Journal reports. The Polish government is not only considering a ban on Huawei, but is also urging its NATO allies to develop a coordinated response to Chinese spying. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. 
Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Rick Howard. He's the Chief Security Officer at Palo Alto Networks. He also heads up Unit 42, which is their threat intelligence team. Uh, Rick, great to have you back. Um, You and I had talked previously about this notion of a cyber moonshot. Um, And it's an interesting concept, but not one without some controversy. In fact, I've seen some pushback from some well-known folks around the security industry. So I thought it'd be a good time to revisit this, uh, maybe get some clarification and and see how things have evolved and and updated along the way. Bring us up to date. What's the latest on this cyber moonshot notion? Yeah, thanks, Dave. There's been some movement here, right? And the thing I wanted to highlight uh, in in this session is that at the beginning of the month, uh, President Trump's National Security Telecommunications Advisory Committee, known as the NSTAC, published its draft report entitled NSTAC Report to the President on a Cybersecurity Moonshot. Mm. Now, Dave, like you said, we've talked about this thing a couple of times, and I want to just give it a little bit of an update. First, some background on the NSTAC. President Reagan created the NSTAC by executive order back in September of 1982. Hmm. It is composed of up to 30 presidentially appointed senior executives who represent various elements of the telecommunications industry. And it advises the president on a wide range of thorny and complex policy and technical issues related to national security and emergency preparedness. And in the past, the NSTAC has made recommendations to the president on Internet and communications resilience big data analytics, and the Internet of Things, just to name three. This year's 56-page draft report framed the cybersecurity moonshot project. And from the report, uh, here is the massive transformative purpose statement that they were trying to solve. Here it is. Make the Internet safe and secure for the functioning of government and critical services for the American people by 2028. Yeah, I, I, I think, though, a lot of people have uh, – they take issue with this analogy of comparing the cyber moonshot to the actual moonshot uh, that President Kennedy started us on that took us to the moon back in the 60s. Um, how does this report uh, address uh, those issues? I know, and it talked about it directly in the report, and I get that question a lot as I travel around the world and talk about this. The main criticism stems from the fact, like, like you pointed out, that any success criteria – for a cybersecurity moonshot initiative will be less precise and measurable because its achievement will be a societal transformation rather than a singular visual triumph like the Apollo program with men walking on the moon. That said, the reason the analogy is appropriate, the reason we like to use it is that it is aspirational. 
And the target date is a bit into the future, not too far, just 10 years. And we know we will have to innovate things that we don't have today in order to meet whatever criteria we establish. So how does this differ from past initiatives that were similar to this? I know there have been you know, other administrations, other presidents have had similar things in the past. Uh, well, how is this one different? Yeah, it's true that past administrations have tried and some would say failed in the past to establish something like this. Um, but I, my argument to that is just because we failed a couple of times, does not does that mean that we shouldn't try again? You know, as President Kennedy said, we choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Damn straight. That's what we're trying to do, right? <laughs> right? So the thing we are trying to do this round is to put in place the proper incentives to get the work uh, done. All right, from the report, here's a quote. Uh, Previous cybersecurity initiatives have failed to articulate the cybersecurity challenge in a way that incentivizes and ensures this level of collective action. So one of the key components of the Cyber Moonshot program is the use of the grand challenge philosophy. And I'm not sure you're familiar with this. It's, It's this idea that the project establishes a set of incentive prizes to accomplish key milestones. And various organizations have used these things in the past, like the $25,000 Ortigue Prize for the first nonstop aircraft flight between New York and Paris. And that was won by Charles Lindbergh in 1927. Mm. Um, Another one is the $10 million X Prize for the first commercial and reusable three-person spaceship won by Richard Branson in 2004. Uh, And it turns out that the U.S. government has been running all kinds of grand challenges uh, for incentive programs for a while now, well, from a $2.5 million health and human services prize to develop a new kidney dialysis redesign and a $100,000 IARPA prize to accurately forecast a future in Africa and the Middle East based on public news feeds. The Instac report says that using this grand challenge tool is a big differentiator. All right. So, so what are the recommendations from Instac? What, what do they want to have happen here? Yeah, so the report discusses two buckets of recommendations, governance and strategic pillars to focus on. And so for governments, they are recommending the following. Either the president or the vice president should be the strategic champion and announce the cyber moonshot at the State of the Union or something equivalent uh, with that kind of gravitas. Uh, They want to include all areas, government, commercial, and academia. And they want to establish the moonshot council led by the government but includes reps from all three and the president or the VP should chair the council, right? And then after due consideration by the council, uh, they should publicly articulate a strategic framework based on six pillars of um, energy, all right? So first one is technology. Second one is human behavior. Third is education. Fourth is the ecosystem that supports it all. Five is privacy. And the last one is policy discussions. Hmm. So where do we stand now? How do we get started? What's the next step? Well, we wait for the president to make a decision on the report to see what he wants to do with it. But in the meantime, a small working group of about 80 people will, uh, will be meeting up at Annapolis in January to discuss this very thing. The goal is to present uh, all the ideas coming out of that workshop to the Joint Service Academy Cybersecurity Summit in April. Uh, the JSACs, as we like to call it, will be the first gathering of the government's people, the academic people, and the commercial people uh, talking about how to move the Cyber Moonshot program forward. All right. Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir.
Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.